Good morning, saints. God's love and grace are ours to enjoy and celebrate this morning. There's probably a foundational truth in the Christian faith that we do not talk enough about. And if you don't think about it, you might be led with the world to look at Jesus Christ and say, when he's on the cross, now what is the point of all that and what's so amazing? See, it's one thing to say in your head, yep, I think that's wonderful, but to actually feel it with your whole being is, first of all, the prerequisite is to, to know this foundational truth. The truth that I'm talking about is that you and I will all appear by ourselves before the judgment seat of God at the end of our lives. Every single one of us will be alone before the Holy One and our whole life will be evaluated. It's a horrible thought. The whole Bible talks about it. In the book of Daniel, it's talked about twice that the Son of Man will sift through everyone's lives. Jesus said it when he was on trial, I will come on the clouds of heaven and judge the world. The Apostle Paul said, everyone will appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Jesus talked about coming with all the angels and dividing all people like a shepherd would divide sheep and goats. He said, if you call somebody a fool or a ditz or an airhead, you're, in guilt, you're, you're going to be judged for that. He said, everyone, this is a word of Christ, everyone will be judged by every empty word they've ever said. He said, out of the heart comes murder, adultery, fornication, and it makes every person unclean. The foundational truth is it will all appear before the judgment seat of God, and it's a horrible thought. And we know how it got started. We read it again today. Our first parents were tempted by the devil, and this is the way he works. Tempt you, get you to sin, and then hound you with the shame and the guilt and to remind you that you're going to go under judgment. He takes the good thing that God is just and he makes it the dreadful thing that you are hopeless and in despair. And if it were not for God's wonderful grace to send the one man to rescue us, we would have hopelessness on top of the hopelessness of a life that's going to be so short here on earth, and then be so long there in hell. But, but when you realize this foundational truth, then you perk up and you say, oh, I, I, I want again to see and hear that beautiful message of Jesus fixing it. He had to be sacrificed but to be, to be a sacrifice that worked, he had to be perfect. And to be perfect, he had to prove it. And to prove it, he had to live a long 33 years without succumbing to what Adam and Eve probably succumbed to in the first day. And all of us, the moment we were conceived, were born in that succumbing nature of sin. He had to resist it the whole time. And at his baptism... At age 30, his private life becomes public when the Father in heaven says, 
to the world, this man is coming out of his private life. This is the one whom I love. In him I am well pleased. He has not sinned. Could not say that about us. And here's one of the most interesting, challenging next verses. The baptism of Christ in Matthew's gospel is found right before our text. Just, God just said, this is the one whom I love, in him I am well pleased. Look at verse 1 of chapter 4. Then, God so pleased with him, then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. This is the part that makes you perplexed about God. If God loves me so much, why does he allow me to suffer, we'll think. If God loves Jesus so much, why is the next thing to lead him into the wilderness? And in the wilderness, it wasn't going to be easy, right? He wouldn't pack those backpackers' meals. He didn't eat for 40 days. Miraculously, he didn't drink either. Jesus Christ was suffering intensely. Now, when we suffer intensely through a physical suffering, that's when it kind of peels back all the layers. It's, it's easier to have a, a semblance of goodness and obeying God when the going is easy. It's really hard when the going gets tough, and that's when the uglies kind of come out. You know when a little kid doesn't get sleep and they're acting out like a m- mad person, and we say, he just needs to get some sleep, right? Well, when you're ill, all the uglies come out. Jesus is feeling terrible. He's entering an, an awful physical experience. So God the Father and the Spirit turn up the heat and leave Jesus into the wilderness. They're, they're, they're preparing him for the battle at the end of the 40 days. You might think of it in our day like preparing for a boxing match. And Jesus is going to enter the ring with the devil, and he's going to be fighting for you. Remember, he has to be perfect for your life to have hope that when you go before the judgment seat of his judgment seat, that he is actually able to say, I paid the price. He cannot succumb to the devil in this battle. And what I, if, if you could imagine, and I, I know that mo- most of you probably don't ever wager on anything, but if you can imagine that you waged your, all of your money that you have that's available, all your cash, on a prize fight that was on pay-per-view, that you would be watching with an anxious heart as you watch that boxing match, because it wasn't just the, your person that you really liked winning or losing, it was your own livelihood that would be lost or gained. Well, that's the way it is when you read this story of the temptation of Christ. Your entire salvation is dependent upon what happened there at the end of those 40 days. He's not fighting as an example. He's fighting as your replacement because you are a loser. So am I. We need a winner to save us. We need him to do this right. And that's what makes reading it exciting. I asked in an email to those of you that are on our email list. That's what makes this exciting and tense and comforting all at the same time. It's not just a story. It's our story of how our man saved us. So when you go beside the 
the ring with Jesus and the devil battling, you want to say as a Christian, knock him out! Knock him out, Jesus! Don't fall to that temptation. And he doesn't. And that's what's so beautiful. So we'll read about the first temptation. He led him into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. That's an understatement. The tempter came to him and said, remember the father had said, this is my beloved son. So he says, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, it is written, He's talking from Deuteronomy chapter 8. It's written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Round one, Jesus won. The temptation was to take control of his life because he was suffering and to relieve it without the Father's go-ahead. We tend to do, when we're pressured in life, by the things that Jesus was pressured by, we tend to do one of two things. We take control and we relieve ourselves from the suffering without the go-ahead of God the Father, or we complain as if we should have control in order to relieve it. Israel in the desert complaining for 40 years, remember? God judged them for that. Job, as, as righteous as he was and as much as he suffered, his big sin, God said, was that he complained. We either complain or we try to control. Here's the truth. We may get it right some of the time, but none of us get it right a majority of the time. And if the, if the heat were turned up, we'd crack pretty fast. But not Jesus. Man does not live by deciding. He had the power to make stones into bread by bread alone. But when God says it's time to eat, that's the way man lives. He lives by the word of God. He tells him when to do it. He tells him how it's going to be. We're glad. We sit, we sit by the ring guilty, but he didn't, and he's fighting in our behalf. Then the devil took him to the holy city, and he had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, and now he's going to quote Psalm 91, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in all your ways so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, It is written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. What's this temptation? The temptation to live presumptuously and expect God to bless it. It's like we do this. We sit over a a fast food meal that's really trash for our bodies and we say, Lord, bless this food. We say, protect me while I'm driving, but we pick up our phone and we look at it. We say, God, help my family grow in their faith, and then we neglect the word ourselves, and it's not all as important to us as it ought to be, and it shows in the way we live our lives. We live presumptuously. We say, we're going to live a certain way and dare to do things and just say, God bless it because you're so good and gracious. Just take care of it. And Jesus never did that. He would not throw himself down and let the angels pick him up. The devil's, though, been winning that battle with human beings like you and me for a really long time. I just gave a few examples, but not with Jesus. Bam! Knocked down! 
Devil's back on his rear end. Ding! Jesus goes to his corner. Perhaps the hardest temptation is yet to come. The devil took him to a very high mountain and he showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you'll just bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan. For it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And then the devil left him and angels came and attended to him. This temptation of the devil is to take a shortcut by deciding you're going to give in under the pressure of temptation for a short-term relief in order you believe in your heart you'll get a long-term gain. This is a young lady who's really crazy about a good-looking athletic young man who's pressuring her for a physical relationship while they're yet in high school or they're unmarried. And she thinks, I can keep him. I'll gain the world, which is that boy, if I'll give in to my, with my body. This is me, my senior year in high school, under peer pressure, deciding right before the senior year started, being the church boy in a big public school and tired of the pressure of my peers and be getting a reputation of being a goody-two-shoes, I just threw it off and said, I'm going to live the, re- the rebellious life that they live. My 10-year high school reunion, I'm not proud of this, I got the most changed male award <laughs> because I showed up with a wife and two kids and I was a vicar planning to be a pastor. They thought, my goodness. I wanted to relief. I remember thinking, this is so relieving. I don't have to fight it anymore. I can party with the best of them. And I caved in, and I'm ashamed of it. And I know you're ashamed of things where you've caved in too. Some of them are not so public. But you've caved in. You've taken the shortcut. And you know why? Because at the core of your sinner's heart, you don't fear God the way Jesus did and the way you're supposed to. In the Proverbs, Solomon, who was the wisest man outside of Jesus, said, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. You will not make a tremendous amount of mistakes if you just in your heart fear God. Both faith and love. Fear, respect, and love is what that fear is. It's a spiritual gift wrought in your heart by God. You weren't born with it, and that's why you need this guy in the ring. This was the first commandment that the devil was asking Jesus to break. Bow down and worship me. But everything falls under the first commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Have no other gods before me. Those are the two that comprise that first and greatest commandment. And if you do not get that, you will fall to so many other temptations. Look at us. But he didn't. He didn't. Bam! Knocked him out. Quoted the scripture and said with a little added twist, get away from me. We're done. And slithering off like a snake, the devil left that boxing match. And Jesus is the world champion. And angels come to his corner and they attend to him. You know why? There's a rematch coming. His life's not over yet. It's the beginning of his three years. The biggest match will be Passion Week 
And there'll be a rematch between the same two, Jesus and the devil. And he'll knock him out again. There's so much you can take from this, and I'm sure you are, when you think about the temptation of Christ and using Scripture and how we can use Scripture to fight the devil. But really, what is the biggest thing? What's the biggest thing to take from watching Jesus knock the devil out? It's celebration. You know, your life and my life has many things that are not celebration. We struggle. We've got disappointments. We've got regrets. We have fears. We have sadness. We have friends dying. We're going to die. We've got all kinds of negativity in our lives. But in Christ, we have a reason to celebrate right now. Because He won! In our culture, we experience this to what any level we get involved with what I'd call extracurriculars. It can be band, football, and everything in between. But these things that are part of the, the, the competition, it might just be those that we love that are playing or just our favorite professional team. I'm leading up to this, how we can celebrate. We look at these games like they mean something when they don't mean anything at all. I remember watching my kids play high school football. I texted to somebody one time, I've never cared so much about something that meant so little. <laughs> I remember as a kid, if our high school team that my brother played on, our college team that my dad rooted for, and our local Dallas Cowboys all won in a weekend, it was like I'd had gone halfway to heaven. But nothing had changed in my everyday life. I was celebrating a win. And they didn't really mean anything, right? This one means something. This is a win in our favor that means something. You are forgiven. The biggest fear and shame and guilt in your life is wiped away. You've got secret sins that no one will ever know because Jesus knocked him on his can. Isn't that great? You're forgiven and loved. And you live your life a winner because of that man and what he did. One man brought us all into sin and one man brought us all out. And you should have chills mixed in with all that other stuff that you have to live through. And you can, you can be glad that some of your sins will be a secret, but don't keep your gladness a secret. Show the world that your man won the big fight. Show the world that their man won the big fight. We've got a champion. And he won it for the entire world. Amen.